Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing today? I am well. I've got some great books to talk to you about and also an interview with Jessica Bull, the author of Miss Austin Investigates. More on that later. But some of you have contacted me saying, what happened with the bookshelves? Because I think I mentioned in an episode late last year that my husband was going away to see his family in Jamaica for a couple of weeks and I had secretly organised, this is so bad, but I had secretly organised to have some extra bookshelves fitted while he was away. Well, in the end, I admitted it to him because he said to the kids before he went, kids, do not let your mother fit extra bookshelves when I'm gone. So I had to come clean and say, oh, well, no, I'm ever so sorry. But before you actually said that, gave that ruling, I had organised for someone to come. Anyway, I'm pleased to say not only do they look fantastic and I'm able to take some of the books from upstairs that I really thought was going to just break the floor in my bedroom, I'm able to take them downstairs. And do you know what? Everyone agrees the lounge now looks bigger because of the extra bookshelves. So, you know, I'm doing the world a favour, really. Call me Kirsty Allsop. It, it's location, location, location here. It's all gone very well. But anyway, enough about me. I need to tell you about the books. So there's three books that I'm going to review that I, I need to talk to you about. And also this lovely book by Jessica Bull. I'm going to give you the names of the books I'm going to review, then we're going to talk to Jessica Ball, and then I'll tell you about the books. I don't know if that's the right way to go about it. It's sort of new year, new interviews, but we'll give it a go. We can chop and change. So the books I want to talk to you about. The first one is a crime book. It's in a series and it's written by Simon Mason. Simon's been on the podcast talking about these. These are superb. And the latest book is called Lost and Never Found. And well, I'll tell you more later on. Brilliant. If you're looking for a crime series, that's one to consider. The next one is a book club book that I've actually enjoyed. Wow. Who, who could have thought that? It's called This Mortal Coil and it's by Emily Savada. I've got a lot to tell you about that book. It's a sort of dystopian YA. So quite a different read. And then the final one is again a very different read, Pages and Co by Anna James. 
This is the second book in the series that I'm going to tell you about, Tilly and the Lost Fairy Tales. But I just can't wait to tell you about these books. So, yeah, in fact, oh my goodness, newsflash, Philip has just realised all the books featured today are in a series. Who'd have thought? That wasn't planned. I wish I had planned that better. Anyway, wasn't planned, but hey, absolutely super. And let's go on to Miss Austin Investigates by Jessica Bull. Now, this year, I said to myself, when I'm doing these interviews, instead of possibly speed reading through the books of the authors that I'm interviewing, I'm going to take time and read those books. So even if it means I have less books to tell you about as well, that's fine. I need to really mine deep on these books so that I can give you... Because I think I'm always very positive about books and I think I need to... I don't want to say I didn't like this book, but... I just I just need to be more impartial, maybe not swept up in, in the books. I don't know. Anyway, so that's what I said to myself. And I sat down to read the first book of the first interview this year. And I was so cross because I absolutely adored the book. So it's impartial, but it's still a celebration. And a mark of this is as soon as I'd finished talking to Jessica about this book, I immediately asked if I could book her in to talk to her about the next one in the series that'll be out, I think, uh, January next year. So I think that's a mark of genuine enjoyment. So Miss Austin investigates. Let me read you the blurb. When a young woman's body is discovered during a ball on a Hampshire estate, the county is in uproar. For Jane, it is personal. Firstly, she is acquainted with the victim. Secondly, her brother, Georgie, is accused of the murder. Jane has always been a watcher and a listener. Might she use her powers of observation to save her brother from the scaffold? I think you'll tell what I thought about the book as I'm chatting to Jessica. So without further ado, let's talk to the author now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome as the first interview of 2024, Jessica Bull, whose fabulous book is called Miss Austin Investigates. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's such a delight to be with you. It's a delight to talk to you about what is a delightful book. I love this. It was so different. And thank you so much. Just a jolly good read. Really, yeah, really in, enjoyed it. Can we start there with you doing the obvious and giving us a, for those who haven't read it, a bit of a summary of the book? Absolutely. So it's a Jane Austen inspired murder mystery um, and it starts with a young Jane trying to enjoy a romantic liaison with a very charming, handsome young man called Tom Lefroy at a ball in um, 1795. But unfortunately, their romance is cut short by the discovery of a milliner found battered to death. Jane wants to solve the crime, firstly, because she knew and she respected the milliner. She bought a bonnet from her. And then it becomes really urgent because one of Jane's brothers, Georgie, is arrested in connection with the crime. And she has to prove who the true culprit is or Georgie could be hanged. Yes. And we absolutely do not want anything to happen to Georgie. So we're fully committed to the story and the plot and willing Jane on her her detective work. I'm just fascinated that you chose Jane Austen you know is that allowed I just didn't I mean it's brilliant (laughs) but did you have to write pleading letters to various members of 
of the publishers or the Austin. No, so so it was more about letting myself do it. So she's been dead for so long now. So I think next year is the two hundred and um. 49th birthday of of Jane Austen so yeah so she's been dead for almost a quarter of a millennia now so all her work is out of print and although her family have you know over generations really protected her her legacy and her reputation you can and people have and all sorts of people have adapted and rewritten stories about Jane Austen so it was more of a case of giving myself the permission to to take this inspiration from a woman who I absolutely adore she's absolutely my hero and there is a little bit of a tradition of mixing Jane Austen with mystery so P.D. James who's one of my favourite authors wrote Death Comes to Pemberley and and I think it's because she's so interested in the law in her writing and how it uh systematically disadvantages women so then there's some dark things and there's some monsters in her writing so I think it's all there in the canon and it was more of a case of me working up the confidence to actually do what I wanted to do and make a tribute to her in my favourite format which is the murder mystery. And the book I found so compelling to read I was wondering how compelling it was to write were you just sort of intoxicated by the story and the characters and just had to keep getting the words on the page? Very, very much so. Yeah. So I was, I think this often happens to writers. I was meant to be editing another novel that I'd written beforehand, which was a mystery and it was a historical and it had a protagonist which was based on Jane Austen, but I didn't call her Jane Austen, but you know, she was loosely based on her. And then I realised that it might be more compelling if I just went all in and just did it and just committed to it fully and used all the things that I'd, you know, researched about her life and used all the kind of thoughts and, and the questions I had about her work and really made it her. And once I had that idea, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And that first scene where it opens and she's in the greenhouse with Tom Lefroy just kept calling to me this delicious little idea of what was Jane like at 19 and how much fun could I have in comparing her to her heroines. And yeah, absolutely. It it wouldn't leave me alone. The idea wouldn't leave me alone until I'd done it. Well, as you mentioned that first chapter, it seems like a really good time for me to ask you to read just a little bit from the first chapter. I believe you're going to read us the first paragraph just to give us a I taste. I am, I am. Hampshire, England, 11th of December, 1795. By moonlight, Jane hitches up the hem of her muslin gown and darts across a neatly scythed lawn. The fireworks are over, but the musky tang of gunpowder lingers in her throat and the din of a raucous crowd rises above the efforts of the string quartet performing in the Tudor mansion behind her. It is nine o'clock and the ball has hardly begun. Jane, accompanied by two of her elder brothers, James and Henry, arrives less than an hour ago, but already the finest society of Hampshire are tipsy and braying at each other over the melody. Excellent. That's super. Thanks for that, Jessica. And we we don't want to give anything away about the storyline of this book, but there is a book too. This is going to be part of a series, The Foreign Princess, I believe, book two's called. So I'm interested when you were writing this, did you know in your mind or hope in your mind that there would be a book too and therefore not put every fact in this one book? Or did you only know there'd be a book too when you'd finished writing this and your publishers said, 
oh, this is jolly good anymore. <laughs> no, absolutely. I always kind of planned it as a series because there's so much I want to say about Jane Austen and her life is so interesting. And one of the things that I really wanted to get across was her relationships and the relationships that were important to her and the places that shaped her and her journey as a writer. So I think we tend to think of her as this all coming quite easily and living quite a charmed life. But actually, she struggled really hard to write. She, she'd written her first drafts of Northanger Abbey, Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility by the time she was 23. But then lots of things happened to disrupt her writing journey and she didn't actually get published until she was in her late 30s. So I wanted to tell that story of those, uh, that decade really, where she's really struggling to find her voice and to write. Um, and in order to do that, in order to make that manageable, I had to think about all the things that I wanted to cover and break them down into little units so that I could really go deep and explore. So this first one is very much about you know, the moment that her surviving letters start when we know she just met Tom Lefroy and was, you know, a, a giddy young woman enjoying balls, enjoying Hampshire society. And then the next one, The Foreign Princess, is about taking her out of her comfort zone. So in that one, she travels to look after her wealthy brother, Neddy's children in Kent and is you know, confronted with Kent society. And Neddy was adopted by their wealthy cousins, the Knights. And in my story, the foreign princess is a mysterious young woman who is claiming to be a shipwrecked princess. And she's been taken in by Mrs. Knight. And Jane realises that her time would be better spent finding out the truth of what's happened there. Otherwise, Neddy's inheritance, which all of the Austins rely on, could be stolen away from under him. Was it hard balancing between the facts of Jane's life and then building the fiction? Because it doesn't read as if you're preaching to me about this person or about history. You know, I just I just soaked it all up because I was just enjoying the story. But is there that challenge for you? Thank you. That's that's always that's always the aim, I think. I think what I really tried to do in order for it to flow naturally was to pull the stories from the real facts of Jane's life and the stories that happened around her. So the big crime that we know that influenced Jane Austen's life was her aunt, Mrs. Lee Perot, was a very wealthy woman and she was arrested in Bath for shoplifting a card of lace. And the lace was worth 60 shillings. Um, and that was a capital crime in Georgian England. And if she'd have been found guilty, she would have been transported to Australia because of the relatively low value of that lace. She would have had the lesser sentence, still very much a death mm. sentence for a lot of convicts. So that was a great scandal. And that really upset the Austin family and influenced Jane. And the other thing was her brother, George, who we know suffered from epilepsy and a learning difficulty. And I always felt it was very unfair that he'd been written out of her story by later generations of Austins and you know, historians when we know at the time that his family always made sure he was loved and cared for. And I came across this letter by uh, Jane Austen's father where he was reflecting on George's condition. And he said, we have this consolation. He cannot be a bad or a wicked child. And so with the terrible imagination of a novelist, I thought, you know, this is someone they loved and who was so vulnerable. What if I put him in the position that Mrs. Lee Perot was in? Would that be enough? Would that feel believable? So that's how I constructed it, really. 
And did you you find it hard keeping the pace? Because it reads so well. But was that, again, a challenge, having the twists and the turns and the reveals as you go along? Or was that just, it just came as you were writing? So so I'm a writer who often gets told to slow down. I think other, huh? <laughs> other writers get told to speed up, but I tend to <laughs> gallop through my first drafts. And I've, I've got a lovely writing group who read some of the first passages and yeah, the, the the feedback on those early drafts is always take a breath, Jess, slow down, <laughs> let, you know, build up the story, layer it up. So yeah, it's more of a case of like, how do I kind of really immerse you and slow things down and show you what she's so that you can just like enjoy the story. And then it ended up quite long, but hopefully the feedback has been that it's still quite, quite fast to read. Yeah, oh, I'd agree with that. I wasn't looking at page numbers left as I sometimes do with books that I'm reading. You just enjoy the read and look forward to the next one, really. But this, despite having written at least one other book, this is your first published book, is that right? Yeah, yeah, but I've got loads in the drawer. I've got loads of practice ones. Yeah. Ones that will never see the light of day. And I think that's, you know, that's normal. Some people who can just sit down and, and write a first book that's worthy of publication. But I think most of us, it's it's a craft. You keep learning and you keep getting feedback and you change and you improve, hopefully. So what was different about this one? What sort of opened the doors with the publishers? Or did you have an agent before this? Or how did this one just get the green no, light? So what what was different, I think, for me with this one is that, you know, I'd, I'd made the mistakes on those other novels and I'd been really fortunate to query other work and get feedback from agents, but nothing was sticking, nothing was quite right. But I tried to take that feedback to heart and act on it. And sometimes it took a little bit of time to do that. So... I mean, my first novel I queried in about 2010 and had some lovely feedback. But that at that point, I just had my two daughters and I was working full time and it was really hard to find the time to study and improve and to write another one. So I had to mull that over for a long time. And then I started writing properly again in 2020 as a way of just keeping sane throughout the pandemic, really. It was a real comfort thing. And at the same time, leaning into my love of Jane Austen for the same reasons, just to find some comfort to and some joy and laughter to keep me going. And I think, honestly, the real difference with this novel was that I'd planned it so thoroughly before I write it. And I don't think that approach works for everyone, but it really, really worked for me because it kept me going and it made sure that there was enough kind of interest in each scene. And I really thought about how her character would develop throughout the novel and what she would discover at each point. And with a mystery, I think planning is really important because I'm telling you a story where my protagonist finds out the truth about another story. So it is so complicated. So yeah, I'm a bit militant about planning now. Now that's interesting. So when you say you plan quite a lot, how much have you written down before you start to write the book? Is it just a chap- chapter one a couple of bullet points or are you really drilling down? Yeah, everything? yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think my plan for this ended up about 20, 20 pages. But I also kind of make notes in the plan as I'm writing. Yeah, so I, I write a lot of, you know, what what is she, what's happening, what's the scene, what's she finding out, what's she thinking about, what's she feeling, how is she developing? 
Yeah, and like what little clues that I can embed in that scene, but not tell you everything. And then how can I build on it so that later when it's revealed, it feels natural and it feels like, yeah, this is this is understandable why this person has done that. I want it to feel inevitable. That's, that's my favorite thing in books where the twist really surprises you. But if you mm. look back or if you reread it, you're like, it's obviously there. It was there all the way along. Yes, you don't just sit there saying, well, there's no way that happened and like you know some somebody just suddenly appears in the final chapter who you've never met before and yeah, it turns out yeah that infuriates out. me that's when i throw the book across the room <laughs> yes and what's the publishing journey been like then because i see videos of authors opening boxes of their first books and just you know uh, cuddling these precious books that they that they've written what's it been like for you Oh, it's been an absolute dream. So I was really, really fortunate in when I started getting responses to the queries for Jane. I knew it was time to query my dream agent, which was Juliet Mushins, and she represents the giants of historical fiction and cozy crime. So she's like a perfect um, agent. And, she, and I was really, really lucky that she came back right away and requested it and then made an offer. And then we sold it to Penguin Michael Joseph, who have just been wonderful. And I had a few different offers and it went to auction, but the reason I went with them was because every editor I spoke to had a different idea about how to develop the book. So some wanted to make it scarier, some wanted to make it funnier, but Penguin Michael Joseph really wanted to get the sensitivity issues in the novel right, because it is quite a diverse novel, probably more diverse than you might expect from a novel set in Georgian England. And that was part of the reason for writing it for me. I wanted to show how diverse Jane Austen's life really was compared to what we might think when we look at those big shiny Hollywood adaptations. And they've been they've been just wonderful. That really helped me kind of pull it to fruition. And they've done beautiful things with the branding of the book. Like I just, every time somebody, it's been wonderful recently because everybody's been sending me photos whenever they go, all my friends and family, whenever they go in Waterstones or wherever, and they see it on the <laughs> shelf, they'll send me a photo of it. And I've just got this beautiful little silhouette of Jane on the front cover. And I just think they've, they've just done a really wonderful treatment of it. And it's been fantastic. And how lovely that they didn't want to dial up or down the, as you say, the scariness or the comedy, but just to celebrate Jane, really, as the central part yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. It's all inspired by those real people. So getting those real people right and as authentic and as believable as possible. And also, you know, part of this was opening Austin to people who might not think that Austin is for them. And I really wanted to do that. And they were so on board with that, with that message. So, yeah. Bravo. You mentioned the phrase cosy crime. And I do want to ask you about that because sometimes I feel I can't use it because some people say, oh, well, it's overused. And is it a bit derogative about a book that's a, you know, a well-written book? Are you happy Oh, yeah, because I think it's really helpful. For, so for me, it depends, like, you know, how you're using it. But for me, the, the classic thing of cosy crime is that you've got an amateur sleuth solving the crime, right? So it's it's a technical mm. term for me. Like, it, it's you've got an amateur. And I think that we turn to crime for that experience of catharsis. 
So you can read that. That's where the coziness, I think, comes from for me. So you can read a crime book and you can have a really, really good cry about the fate of the victim and, you know, the terrible unfairness and atrocities that happen in the world. But you can also trust that your fabulous sleuth, and in my case, Jane Austen, is going to come in and they're going to restore justice they're going to make things right they're going to find out what's happened and they're going to make sure that the perpetrator of that crime pays and that doesn't happen in real life it's really sad like that rarely rarely happens in real life but in a book you get that resolution and you get that catharsis and that wonderful feeling of oh everything's okay now so it's like a it's a safe environment to have a look at all those feelings in much the same way that a Jane Austen book does you know her she takes her heroines to the brink of disaster and all these terrible things happen to you know some people in the plot but you know that she's going to deliver like a really good happy ending so it's that same process so yeah it's definitely cozy crime that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen and it doesn't mean that Mm. there's not you know necessarily points where you cry and and you get upset like I definitely I don't think that I wouldn't feel right writing murder especially murder of a young woman purely as entertainment I think you know it should touch you and it should upset you and it should shock you but there's there's a reason for that no that's great it's it's a positive term and we should celebrate cozy crime I like that yeah thank you well Jessica we come to the final question which is the most crucial one on this podcast and it's about biscuit choices what biscuit powered the writing of Miss Austin investigates excellent so I like Jaffa Cakes and I didn't know if that would be an acceptable answer to you because obviously there's a lot of debate about whether the Jaffa Cake is a biscuit or not but I thought it was especially appropriate because the first recorded use of sponge cake in English is from Jane Austen and it's in a letter to her, it's in a letter to her sister where her sister's obviously written saying she's bought a sponge cake and Jane wants her to elaborate and she says you know how interesting the purchase of a sponge cake is to me. And I thought, given your interest in biscuits, that you would particularly empathise with that statement. Well, even before you've told me that delicious bit of information, as far as I'm concerned, on this podcast, a Jaffa cake is a biscuit. It doesn't have buttercream. It's not in the cake section. It's a biscuit. But then that delightful piece of information you've just given us, well, just makes me love Jane even more. So thank you for that, Jane. <laughs> She's so relatable. And you can dip a Jaffa cake in a cup of tea, which is the most important thing. I have no, I, you see, I'm not a dipper. <laughs> I just have to eat the biscuit quite separately. I need to start trying this. This is a uncharted territory for me, but maybe it's a thing. Who knows? But what I do know is a thing is that Miss Austin Investigates is a splendid book and I can't wait to read the next one, The Foreign Princess, when that comes out as well. Jessica Bull, thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, some book reviews. Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right, let's get on to the first book I want to tell you about, Lost and Never Found by Simon Mason. This is part of the D.I. Ryan, well, I can't even speak now, D.I. Ryan Wilkins mystery. They're set in Oxford. Simon's been on the podcast earlier. I really enjoy these. There's two characters, Ryan and Ray Wilkins. They're both... Uh, policemen and they're not related and they are so different and I really enjoy that relationship. Uh, Here's the blurb for this one. At three o'clock in the morning emergency services receives a call. This is Zara Fanshawe, always lost and never found. An hour later the wayward celebrity's Rolls-Royce Phantom is found abandoned in dingy Beckett Street. The paparazzi go wild. Who will lead the investigation and cope with the media frenzy? Suave, prize-winning, Oxford-educated D.I. Ray Wilkins is passed over in favour of his partner, gobby trailer park-educated D.I. Ryan Wilkins. No relation. You wouldn't think Ray would be happy. He isn't. You wouldn't think Ryan would be any good at national press presentations. He isn't. Uh, Do I read you the first sentence of this book? Uh, Let's have a look. Chapter one. The illegal car wash on the southbound road out of Oxford is the cheapest in the city, a makeshift compound of oily puddles and streams, slick and black under dripping awnings. It's a superb book. I don't need to tell you any more. If you like crime, I think you should read these. I think they're really good. It's a great series to 
to have. What is the first book in the series? I need to tell you. A Killing in November. That's right. So, excellent. Definitely one I would recommend. So, the next one. This Mortal Coil by Emily Savada. It's dystopian. It's YA. This is the blurb. When a lone soldier, Cole, arrives with news of Lachlan Agatha's death, all hope seems lost for Katerina. Her father was the world's leading geneticist and humanity's best hope of beating a devastating virus. Then, hidden beneath Cole's gene-hacked enhancements, she finds a message of hope. Lachlan created a vaccine, but only she can find and decrypt it if she can ravel the clues he left for her. The closer she gets, the more she finds herself at risk from Cartaxis, a shadowy organisation with a stranglehold on the world's genetic tech. But it's too late to turn back. There are three billion lives at stake, two people who can save them, and one final secret that Cat must unlock, a secret that will change everything. And let me read you the first sentence, because I didn't read the blurb. I just got the book because it was for book club. And I was like, right, let's start reading it. Because I've just struggled lately with book club books. And this was the first sentence. It's sunset and the sky is aflame, not with clouds or dust, but with the iridescent feathers of a million gene-hacked passenger pigeons. And let's just say I was in at that point. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So from that first sentence I was in... I thought the story got a bit complicated at times. I think it didn't strike me as a YA book. Only a small percentage of the pages did I think, particularly when they were talking about relationships, it felt a bit YA. I really enjoyed it. I think it made me, it did make me think about humans. And there's this issue called a, a wrath that makes you think about the human race. I thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. It's a book club book that I've really enjoyed. Maybe it's getting over my reading slump and just giving books more time. I don't know. But of this, this is the first of three books in the series. I've already downloaded the second one onto my Kindle. Now I am a Kindle girl and I'm going to read that and I, I imagine I'm going to get the third one as well. Excellent. Very good. Next one, final one today. Pages and Co, Tilly and the Lost Fairies. So the first book I listened to as an audiobook. Now, the first one is called Tilly and the Book Wanderers and the second one is Tilly and the Lost Fairy Tales. This is a children's book. I make no bones about it. I downloaded the audiobook last year because I was struggling to sleep. I just thought I just want something I can escape in. A children's book will send me to sleep feel good, so I don't wake up in the middle of the night having had awful sort of scary nightmares. It'll all be nice. I started listening to this and I couldn't sleep because I was so into the story. The audiobook was really well narrated and after listening to that, I bought the second book. This was last year when I wasn't doing my new book plan. I just loved it. It's it's set in a bookshop. I mean, you can't go wrong. And basically, these characters in books come to life. So you can't go wrong with that. In the first book, there was Alice and Anne of Green Gables. It was such a joy. There are adventures, there are baddies, but I just I just loved it. 
I, I thought it was wonderful and I'm definitely going to read or listen to the next one. This is the description of the second book. Tilly Pages is a book wanderer. She can travel inside books and even talk to the characters she meets there. But when fairy tales start leaking book magic and causing havoc, Tilly's powers are put to the test. Can Tilly and her best friend Oscar work out who or what is behind the chaos so everyone gets there happily ever after? And let's do the first page. A little magic. Five people proved to be far too many to fit inside a wardrobe. I loved it. And with the printed book, instead of listening to the audiobook, I hadn't realised how many lovely illustrations there are in it as well. So I would really recommend those. If you've got a child, if you've got a teenager who's wanting a book, I don't think they're going to enjoy this. But if you've got someone young, I think it's in the age range 8 to 12. I think it's that. But I just anyone who just loves a story, really recommend it. I thought it was great. And those are your books. I think there's quite a range we've had today. Uh, I'm, I, but they're all unified by being part of a series. Who knew? And I've been great reads. No flops today. Sorry for those of you who love to hear about a flop. No flops today, but I'm sure there will be some soon. Uh, yeah, excellent. So we've had Miss Austin Investigates by Jessica Bull. And Jessica came on to talk to us about that. Lost and Never Found by Simon Mason. This Mortal Coil by Emily Suvada. And Pages and Co. Tilly and the Lost Fairy Tales by Anna James. Those are your books. I'll be back next week with another author interview. And just look after yourselves. And I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.